I'm Steve. With me is Kevin, and oh my gosh, do we have an episode for you. We're going to be talking about a new study by a Cambridge University geneticist, Aubrey de Grey, who claims that the first human on Earth to be a thousand years old is alive today, meaning kids today and maybe their progeny will be able to live well past 100, 120, and possibly for a thousand years. So I guess the question is, Kevin, what are your thoughts on this study, which is attracting a certain amount of interest and a great deal of point-counterpoint, almost controversy? And one question for you is, would you want to live for a thousand years? The short answer is yes. The long answer is also yes. So I'm sensing you're answering in the affirmative. Is that correct? Yes. And, okay, why? Why would you want to live for a thousand years? Well, I think the most obvious answer to that is um, because then I would be able to experience so much more of what life, of what consciousness, of what existence has to offer. I would have so much more time to learn, to grow, etc. We have such a brief time as it is, you know, in life. Um, really, when most people get into their adult years and really start getting a handle on, on what's going on, I mean, they're <laughs> pretty much almost dead. Sure. So, I, so on the one hand, look, you know, there are great breakthroughs um, in science, in genetics, and as this Daily Galaxy article points out from August 2016, you know, they're chipping away at um, the, the obstacles to longer life. But one of the points in the article is that living longer than um, humanity's current or expected lifespans, even in terms of the next 100 years, one of the uh, people quoted in this piece argues that it undermines humanity and what it means to be human, to go past the, you know, 100 or, you know, 105-year-old concept of what it means to be really, really old. Would you agree with that? Well, I would say that there are already living things on Earth which live longer than the average human. I don't see anyone, for example, I think, what is it, the Galapagos turtle? They can live sure. over 100 years. Um, and they has just any, discovered a, a shark off of Greenland that might be 400 years old, I think. Ex exactly. So is anyone going to walk up to them and say, you're no real shark, phony. You've lost what's sharkiness. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How absurd. So you think there's it, both... Well, that's certainly from a sort of moral, uh, societal concept of what it means to be human. What do you think about the scientific aspect of it? Um, one of the folks quoted in this, in this uh, piece is a, is a Yale uh, doctor, who, uh, professor of surgery, who doesn't think immortality is possible 
or at least extending the lifespan literally 10 times what it may be now. Um, you know, this person is arguing that the, the geneticist, the Cambridge University geneticist, is oversimplifying the science according to the Daily Galaxy and don't understand the magnitude of, uh, of what they're proposing or postulating. Do you agree with that? Well, I would point out that nearly every major revolutionary history making change uh, in, in pretty much the entire the entirety of recorded human history uh, has been preceded by people saying those very same things. Oh, man wasn't meant to fly. If man had been meant to fly, he would have been born with wings, et cetera, et cetera. And then, oh, all of a sudden we fly everywhere all the time, constantly. It's, oh, it's, it's a never-ending stream of naysayers. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll never do this and we'll never do that. We'll never have these and those over there. You, know, you could just forget about those. And then the next thing you know, 20 years later, oh, look, they're everywhere. Ubiquitous. They never learn. <laughs> Who's they? I ask you this all the time on this show. Who is they? If I told you that, they would be upset. Listen, <clears throat> it's, it's amazing to me that anyone in this day and age, considering we'll just take the last 100 years, just 100 years, that's it. We won't go any further back than that. If you look at how far science, medicine, how, th how far we've advanced, how... In if you look at it in the context of the entirety of human history, how impressive it is, how insane it is, some of the things that we're able to do now that we take for granted that are just commonplace, um, which would quite literally be considered impossible to fathom magic by our ancestors. And yet there are still people who can say, oh, but not that. No, no, no. We're, we won't be able to do that, though. That's, it's, just a, it's just ridiculous. It flies in the face of, of history. It flies in the face of everything that's come before. Man, if you can imagine it, we will eventually achieve it. Man has been able to overcome every obstacle. Now, someone will be quick to point out, oh, but what about this or what about that? We haven't conquered this. We haven't cured this disease. Give it time. I believe it is only a matter of time. Certainly science has created breakthroughs that... You know, many naysayers have thought impossible and that have blown the minds of the scientific community and the public alike. What I found interesting reading about this is that there apparently are movements afoot, and I'm not making any of this up, you can go to dailygalaxy.com and search for this article, that there are movements afoot on both sides of the quote-unquote immortality debate. So apparently there are anti-aging enthusiasts um, who see the possibilities for, for new solutions to emerge. And as described by the writer, there are also anti-aging crusaders um, who are in alliance with, quote-unquote, bioconservatives who want to uh, limit research that seeks to prolong life or promote the notions or any breakthroughs related to immortality. So these debates are not new. I mean, you've seen debates around cold fusion creating camps within, uh, within certain parameters of scientific research. But the fact that there are anti-aging crusaders and bioconservatives in league together against anti-aging enthusiasts who want to promote this stuff, to me, I find absolutely fascinating. But let's explore what it might mean to live, you know, 200, 300, 1,000 years potentially. 
Now, I could see someone living for a couple hundred years um, and, you know, living what is relatively a normal life, assuming one's health and mental faculties are more or less well-preserved and together. But I wonder if at a point like, you know, right around year 500, never mind year 700 or year 1,000, just in a very simple way, as you see many, many other people um, die, when you see, I can imagine, since there's inequality now, I can only imagine a world where many people live well over 100, 200, 300, and many people die under 100, where there's rampant inequality and wow. global conflict. And then, just the same old thing, even if there's none of that, even if it's all harmony and utopia, I think around year 500 or so, once you've lived that long, honestly, I think you would probably go mad. Well, okay. Why do you think it needs to be accessible to everyone? Why is that a, like a like an assumed given? Well, I don't really want to get into a debate about, you know, liberal versus conservative views about the distribution of wealth or living well, in a pure meritocracy. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if we're if we're limiting the scope of the conversation to this idea of, mm -hmm. of extended longevity and that you seem to be saying that you think that only a few people would have or control access to that oh. technology or that, you know, whatever you however you want to refer to it. No, I just am looking at it in sort of this just the way the world turns, you know, there are rich, there are poor, there are middle income countries and I don't think that will really ever change. It's it, it goes back to time immemorial. I don't have grand ideas about the why. I don't have grand ideas in terms of solutions, whether from you know history a thousand years ago or present day. Just I I only raise that as a potential source of conflict in some future, in, in the possibility of a future where this kind of stuff is is readily available to some well, and just out of reach of others. Well, th think about it from a, a purely um, disconnected, dispassionate, uh, pragmatic point of view. And sure. You, you quickly realize that considering the problems we have in this world now and even making the assumption that there are advances in other areas of science that... Um, say, perhaps help us increase food production, um, mm -hmm. you know, to, to prevent, you know, we, we still have starvation in the world. Um, I say this because the obvious answer is it would be really stupid to take a world that can barely support itself, that literally has whole populations on the brink of starvation, and introduce a technology that keeps them alive for a thousand years, say. Well, that would be pretty dumb. Uh, in fact, it would be catastrophic. It would guarantee the end of the human race because no one would make it to the thousand years because they would starve to death. Well, it's funny you mention that because in this article, there are, you know, the anti-aging folks are saying that things like overpopulation, limited resources, and other issues will be problems that are only compounded by adding... In the, in the words of the article, by adding immortality into the mix. I'm addressing the question in a slightly different way, which is, what does that mean for the personal or possibly collective experience of those who do live longer, and potentially for <laughs> centuries? I think, of course, 
you know, it's it's human instinct to want to preserve life. I mean, it's, you know, if, if you try to kill a fly, it will, you know, obviously try to get away. That's the life instinct. Though I do think that because of, you know, humanity's advanced reasoning power, the ability for self-reflection, again, I think after a few centuries, people are going to get sick and tired of it. Well, uh, here's the thing, okay? Let's just stick with the number of 1,000. Let's pretend that, you know, the, whatever advancements have taken place, they more or less guarantee at least 1,000 years, okay? And you're saying that it's very possible that someone would get, in simplest terms, pretty much sick of existence at some point way before 1,000 years and, and want it to end. Well, there's no reason why you couldn't do that. I doubt very much it would be some like, oh, once we give you the magic injection... Um, you're stuck living until a thousand years. You can't die. You're unkillable. You're you're a superhero. I, I'm sure at any point, if you know you got to 101 years and you're like, oh, this is a mistake. Kill me. I mean, okay, it shouldn't be a problem. You should be able to live as long up to a thousand years. But if you got to 500, you know, like you know, I've pretty much done everything I wanted. I was a painter for a hundred years. I tried, you know, um, whatever, and I'm I'm done. I'm all set. I'm good. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to see what's next. If, if anything, and, you know, you could just choose to end your existence at that point because I don't think that would necessarily make any difference. I think it would still be entirely optional for people to uh, to opt out, as it were. Again, I'm not interested in arguing, you know, free market uh, economics theory compared to a world of greater um, distribution of resources. That's sort of besides the point for this conversation. So, so global communism or... That's, is that what you were less describing there? Uh, uh, of course. There's no other alternative to my train of thought than coming to the conclusion, the hard and fast conclusion of global communism. Yes. No, but in all seriousness, you have no qualms whatsoever with the notion that, hey, human beings are meant to live X amount, say 80 to 100 years. You die. That's the cycle of life. Nope. <laughs> I mean, look, here's the thing, okay? What what separates us from, you know, the lower orders of life is our ability to, well, it's our cognitive faculties. It's our ability to, to reason. Um, it's our ability to uh, create and design tools that enhance our ability to survive in an environment. We don't depend solely on our biology in the sense that we aren't using, you know, tooth and nail to determine whether we survive you know, within this existence or not. Our mental capacity has given us the ability to surpass the basic survivability of our life form and extend our, our capacity to survive into other environments that we weren't necessarily biologically adapted for. But we can, you know, I mean, it, it, to us it seems almost absurd to even talk about it, but when you think about it, it's a big deal. Some animals aren't adaptable. They can only live in a certain range of an environment within a certain temperature range, within a certain, um, you know, uh, ecosphere that, in, that, that includes the, you know, whatever, perhaps they can only uh, subsist on a certain type of plant life, and that type of plant life only grows within a certain temperature band, so they are restricted to a certain geographical area. We have overcome that. We can... We can live in an environment that's too cold for us if we were just a naked human being, but we can create shelter and clothing and create fire and other methods of staying warm so we can exist in a cold environment, even though biologically speaking, we, that should kill us. 
Look, I get it. You can chip away at some of these counter arguments for extending life and the pursuit of immortality, you know, through, you know, scientific research, simply because, you know, know, 150 years ago, you could very easily die of a toothache or strep throat. And scientific breakthroughs occurred where you were able to overcome those obstacles and survive longer. You could argue, again, to chip away at those arguments against such research that, you know, we've been we've been overcoming death, you know, extending what is meant to be, quote unquote, the natural lifespan of a human. We've been doing that for centuries already. Well, as soon as a caveman killed an animal, he was naked. As soon as he killed an animal, you keep mentioning decided, naked. This is there's a strong, strong theme. Yeah, I see a nudist future of a thousand years of nudity. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the the very first time, you know, some primitive human who was naked, an, who was obviously naked, because that's how we come into this world, and he was cold, and he took animal skins and create fashioned some primitive clothing for himself, and thereby kept warm. It goes that far back. You don't. You you can't limit it to say. Well, it's only recently. It's mm-hmm. it's been part of our existence since we started. I mean, obviously, we probably lived in areas where maybe that wasn't a necessity. But as humans migrated out into areas where you know their range started to include places that had different different wildlife, different plants, different uh, temperature ranges, uh, obviously they had to adapt. If they couldn't adapt, then they would die. Agreed. I'm just a little bit surprised that you don't have any other kind of moral or psychological concerns about living for centuries. Again, I'm not ethically against it as a kind of gut moral reaction myself. Um, I do question whether or not, I'm not a geneticist personally, but I do question whether or not the science at this point is fully baked and... uh, um, ready for prime time, so to speak, but it certainly makes for a very fascinating debate because the way the the way the article frames it is that this will likely happen in some people's children's lifetimes, right? And certainly their kids or grandkids look at the potential of living for you know five hundred, six hundred thousand years, and you don't really see to the extent that one can prognosticate, you know, centuries ahead. You don't really see any kind of fallout from that. The folks who are in favor of this research as well address the issues of overpopulation, of limited resources, as with advances in other sciences, things like space colonization could improve things like access to resources um, and, again, overpopulation or result in a civilization destroying war over those resources, which is much more likely, considering our track record. Well, again, you know, humanity is a fairly violent species, isn't it? So right now, I think it sounds like for you, the case is decided. For me, I think the jury is out, not so much on the purely scientific realm of possibilities, but I have some serious questions and a certain amount of skepticism if there's not a way humanity can somehow screw this up, if nothing else, by a good old-fashioned fretting about what it means to live for three, four hundred years and just falling into despair. So on that happy note, I think this has been a fascinating conversation. We invite you, 
the listener to feel free to join the conversation and visit thedeeplyconflicted.tumblr.com and add your thoughts, observations, and comments. Till next time, Kevin, as always, it was fascinating, enlightening, and maddening speaking with you. Fuck forever. That's the spirit. Thank you.